You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name is David Frizzell. It's great to have your company and I'm wondering if you are a fully formed adult. Weird question, huh? But it means, have you got your act together? Are you mature, well-developed, easy to work with? This concept, fully formed adult, is a simple one, but peel back the layers just a little bit and it reveals itself to be one of those concepts that is just so simple and useful as we think about ourselves, the way we act and engage with the people and the events around us. It also helps us to frame our perceptions about others. My guest in this episode is Dominic Price. Dominic wrote a terrific short article about the concept of fully formed adult. It got my attention and I invited him on the show. I asked him all about what it means to be a fully formed adult. What are the traits, the elements, the themes? Here's Dominic Price to tell us all about it. Dominic Price, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure, Dominic. I tell you what, you're one of the first person, one of the first people for a little while that I've chased down. <laughs> I read a fabulous article on LinkedIn that you wrote, and I immediately uh, connected with you and asked you if you'd come on the show. It just really appealed to me in its simplicity and the way it it bore to the soul of what it means to to be human, to be an adult, to be a member of a team and a, and a yeah. professional. Thanks for writing such a great article. Thanks for responding to me and, and coming on the show. It's really nice to have you. You're welcome. And I, it's, uh, I, I always enjoy writing pieces, certainly on LinkedIn. I, I find there's two types of people on LinkedIn, ones that consume and critique others yep. and ones that are willing to share views and, and put it out there. I'm always willing to share. It's not always popular, but I think if we don't vocalize these things, we don't discuss them, then we never solve them, right? We never yeah. improve. Yeah, that is all so true. Now, I, well, I I hope that I exist in both worlds on LinkedIn. I think I'm <laughs> up to about 90 articles, maybe somewhere between 80 and 90 articles. Most of them are to do with my podcast, though. But I do spend a fair bit of time reading those ones that, that appeal to me and, and mm. jump out at, at me. Your article is about the things that make us fully formed human beings. I, I really love that concept of what it means to be a fully formed adult, actually, yeah. not a fully formed human being. Tell us about the journey you went on gathering that information and, and forming those ideas and, and what it really means. Let's not get to the five things yet. We'll go through those, but but yeah. give us a little bit of context for that piece. So the best bit of context for this piece is probably my previous ignorance, right? So I've I've always prided myself on on learning and growing, but I'd always associated maturity with being a fully formed adult, right? Or you know, a certain amount of experience or tenure. And what I didn't realize was the number of biases that that brought into how I hired, how I promoted, and the teams I built around me. I would love to say that I created the idea of fully formed adults. I brutally stole it from Patty McCord, the wonderful ex-chief talent officer from Netflix. And I actually got to hang out with Patty and an Australian tour recently, and then in, in Santa Cruz, even more recently than that. And the way she talks about fully formed adults just makes sense. This this concept that it doesn't matter how old you are, it's how you contribute to society and the community, how you think about the world around you. It's about self-awareness. And when she explained it, I was like, 
yeah, not only is that right, but holy shit, I've been doing it wrong for a good time. <laughs> um, and it was, it was that wake up that made me so passionate about it. And I've been experimenting with it since and it's it's become more and more true. So that's why I decided to write about it because I do a lot of HR sort of conferences and events and I still see people talking about the same thing. It's, it's like Back to the Future and they've gone back to 1984 and regurgitating the same things, but adding in artificial intelligence, machine learning and crypto. Right, but yeah. it's the exact same crap coming out. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. how can we change our view? And and when I think about diversity and inclusion, fully formed adults are required because that is a breadth of people. It's a variety of people, but they still have to be able to act as an adult. So when you're talking about the stuff that you see and hear regurgitated at HR conferences compared with these concepts that sit within the fully formed adult idea, are you craving simplicity and stuff that's real, elements that we can really observe in each other and ourself, comment on them, think about them and do something about them if required. Is that what you're craving? Yeah. So yeah, I'll give you an example of a good conversation I just saw the other week because they had they had a bit of bad news that they'd been nurturing on regarding a team they were working with. And I said to them, how's the, how's the team responding? And it's like, oh, I've, I've not told them yet. Oh. And I'm like, okay, so so you're solving this by yourself with your own yeah. frame of reference, yeah. and you've like you've got really smart people. Why don't you trust them? And they're like, no, no, I trust them. Yeah, you know, it's just that yeah, this is bad news. And I was like, no, any fully formed adult can take bad news, and I tell you what, they can take it a hell of a lot better than spin and BS. So if you're going to trust them to be the people you want them to be, and you hire them that way, share that information with them and let them know that you're trusting them. Be explicit about it, but trust them as adults. And they came back to me a few weeks later and they were like, oh my God, they had way better ideas about how to solve it than I did. I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of the beauty yeah. of teamwork. It's the the friction that comes with that is the value that comes with that. When you talk about that kind of a scenario, do you think there's a temptation for us as leaders to pitch at the lowest common denominator? Maybe that person hadn't thought it through really consciously, but maybe on a level, a, a subconscious level, they were thinking, all right, there's eight people in my team, I know four, five, six of them will, will handle this really well and be great for ideas, but there's that two or three who who aren't fully formed adults and we'll get yeah. to what that means. So they're pitching it at that lowest common denominator. I think that might might be one of the assumptions. The other one I've seen is kind of we play out worst case scenario in our minds, like yeah, what if I share it and what if this and what if that and what if and what if, Yeah. when actually the reality is if those what ifs come true, then you've got the wrong people. Yeah, like it's a, it's a different thing to solve. Yeah, um, I, and I've I've committed that sin myself, where I've held stuff back because of the fear of recourse or retribution. And then when you finally share it, not only does it feel good to share it, but the ideas I get back are better than my own. Like yeah. it, it makes sense. It, it's just I don't think it's it's natural for us to do. And I think some of it is baked in the hierarchy. Yeah, and that's one of the beauties I have at Atlassian is is we're not very hierarchical. We have layers and we have structure but we're not hierarchical. So there isn't this thing that says, David, because you're my boss, therefore you're privy to more information than me. Yeah. We're, we're open by default in how we share information. And so we only close off specific information that is high risk or, or for compliance purposes. And so when you're naturally open, being a fully formed adult is easier because you have to assume it. Whereas if you don't assume it, it's a lot easier to hide it. We're going to get to these elements or characteristics, attributes, themes, that you talk about in your article about being a fully formed adult. Before we get there, I, I just want to describe what is blazingly obvious to everybody, but it fits into this conversation, that concept that when we're meeting people, whether it's at work or socially or whether, wherever it might be, 
we meet older people, younger people, people in the middle, but it's not necessarily their age that tells us, that gives us those signs as to whether they're a fully formed adult or not. And I think, again, without being overtly aware of these these characteristics that we're about to talk about, we make pretty good judgments on that. I don't think any mm. of us are guilty of of assuming someone is fully formed because they're in their 40s or 50s or assuming someone isn't fully formed because they're in their 20s or 30s. But I'll tell you what, though, it is impressive when you come across a particular young person who is a fully formed adult and has a really strong representation of these characteristics. And it's equally disappointing when you come across someone who's either older or a little bit more senior in an organization Mm. who has glaring holes in this makeup of being fully formed. Yeah, so I agree and I disagree partially. So I'll tell you where I disagree first, because that's probably more fun, right? Yeah. I, I wish it was true that we all were generally good at this, but what I see a lot of discussion around, I, I still see people talk about generations. Yeah. Like like say, because you were born in this year or, yeah. or this, like this, this era, you're like this. And I'm like, yeah. we know that's not true. Like yeah. we know the world we live in isn't that representative or that stereotypical. And yeah. yet that conversation is still parlayed. That yeah. the the defense I've got, and this is a newfound thing that I've realized probably in the last nine months or so, for those people that are more senior in the organization, I actually have a good amount of sympathy and empathy for them because they have succeeded in the world they were raised in. Mm. They've just found themselves now in a world that's different. And I think the amount of unlearning they have to do, mm. the amount of, of habits and rituals they have to challenge that are so close and near and dear to them, that made them very successful, that won't make them successful in the future. Yeah. And I actually feel for them because that's a lot harder than doing it right from the first time, right? Yeah. And so you know, when, we, when I talk about empowerment and collaboration and innovation, there's a whole lot of senior execs look at me and nod, and I'm, I just feel like saying sorry to them because yeah. I've just turned up their entire world. Yeah. Look, we'll, we'll get to those five now because I think we've teased the listeners long enough. I just want to explain <laughs> the background. I don't know if you can hear it. We're getting one of the early season fabulous Brisbane thunderstorms right behind me right now. Oh, nice. You've missed the biggest part of it. There was thunder and lightning galore just 10 or 15 minutes ago. It's now torrential rain and a little bit of leftover thunder. It's quite lovely. <laughs> I love this time of year. So if you can hear it in the background, that's what it is. I'm, I'm not being uh, – there's no one knocking at the door and I'm not being robbed. It's yeah. uh, the Brisbane weather. Now, Dominic, you don't strike me as a man who's always lived in Australia. Where are you from? Uh, Manchester originally. So I'm an I'm a English guy born and bred. Came to Australia in 2003 for uh, wow. 18 months' work with Deloitte. And yeah. uh, 15 years later, this is still home. Here you are. And is it home forever? Have you fallen in love? Uh, never never say ever. Or always <laughs> say maybe. <laughs> <laughs> always say maybe. Nice. Hey, when you were talking about that you before, you feel sorry for people who are not fully formed because they've – They've been successful in whatever context they learned those skills. As I have a five-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a 10-month-old, and you just remind me of the enormous responsibility that comes with being a parent mm. because those lessons, all of those attributes that we we admire in people that make it easy to work with them, they're all things that on some level, the groundwork is laid really early in life. Yeah, very early. And also as a... As a generation now, so so you as a parent, you have the challenge that you're probably a, a digital immigrant. Like so, yes. so you were born and, and lived a largely analog life. Yes. You've converted to digital, so it's it's a yeah. great second language for you. It yeah. will always be a second language. 
for your kids, that's going to be their first language. Yes. Yeah. That's a that's a really big difference. We've chatted about that on this show quite a few times. It's it's an it's an incredible not golf. It's an incredible attribute that that I don't share with my kids. It's something that's very different about us that neither of us will ever really understand. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get to these. There are five of them. I'm not going to list them. We'll go through them one by one. I wanted to ask, are they in any particular order? I don't know if you remember nah. the order you wrote them in. They're not in any yeah. particular order. No, I, I think all, so. So my view on that is all five are equally valuable, but they carry different weight depending on the situation you're in. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. Well, let's talk about the first one. It's and and there's 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 no there's nothing in here that's going to surprise anyone. It's just a really nice package. Resilience is the first one. <laughs> let's talk about people who don't have resilience, Dominic. What do you see? of them in, in the professional setting. I guess let's go with that first. What does the lack of resilience look like in a professional? It's often continual followship, right? Or yeah. just acceptance of the norm. The default is fine and we just carry on. It's normally a focus on efficiency. Let's just do the same thing on repeat. Maybe we'll do it a little bit faster and things will get a little bit better. One of the things people confuse resilience with is the hero. I am not for the hero leader, right? The hero leader is, is long gone in my world because that hero leader ends up doing long hours, is famous for doing things that I don't think are sustainable. Yeah. Resilience has to be sustainable, which is if you think about your work as a system, how do you put stresses in there just to understand what can you do more of? What can you do less of? What dials can you turn? And that's how you build resilience over time. So people who don't have resilience, are they the people who fear change, who balk at change, who will they will concoct any elaborate story as to why something won't work and we can't do it that way and we've tried it before. They are people who enjoy things being the way they've already always been because that makes them feel safer. Are they people lacking resilience? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a one-to-one match, but yes. I mean, when you find those people, they either lack resilience or they've fallen in love with the status quo. Mm. And you've got to remember, there's a fair few people out there with a fixed mindset who just mm. like what they do. They want to do it, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And change isn't just the fear of, of losing, it's the fear that whatever the new thing is isn't for me and that world exists without me. What about people who are resilient? What are the hallmarks of someone who has a well-defined attribute of resilience? It's sometimes called grit. It's sometimes called determination. It's like when you've got that outcome in mind, you're going to do everything within your power to achieve it, but not mm. compromise your morals and ethics, mm. Right. Versus those people that you have to spoon feed and you have to mm. drag along the way, right? You, you know the people that are running ahead of you and you know the ones that are dragging behind. And so that lack of resilience is every time something challenging comes up. And if you look at the amount of change in the modern business world, you're going to get hit from all sides. The resilient people are aware of that. They don't try and plan for it because you can't. It's uncertainty. It's, it's inherent. But what you can do is be resilient to each time you have a change and an, and an impact, understand it, learn from it, grow and then go again. It smells and looks very different. And we know that. We see those behaviors, no matter how people who are lacking resilience try and dress it up and, and provide excuses and reasons for their inability to go with it and adapt. It comes down to a lack of resilience. All of those hallmarks of resilience I really liked, but I'd like to add, not just getting on with it, bouncing back and making the most of it and, and moving forward, it's actually embracing it and yeah. making that challenge an opportunity. 
Early in my life as a podcaster, I had a fabulous guest, Stacey Copas, wonderful author and speaker, also happens to be a quadriplegic from a an event that happened to her in her teens, diving in a pool. And she described it to me as resilience isn't just about, okay, well, I'm a quadriplegic, I'll get on with it. It's actually about saying, hey, this is my life now. I'm going to make it awesome and yes. I'm going to go with it and make it work for me. And I mean, obviously, an absolutely inspiring story, but it's a definition of resilience that I'll never forget. How then, Dominic, does resilience fit into this profile of the adult, of the fully formed adult? It fits in because it says resilience isn't about age. It's about you, right? Resilience isn't something you read and learn and, and think. Resilience is something that you do, right? It's mm. an action. So yeah. yes, you need you need the mental response you just explained of, Here's the environment I'm in, and I might not love that environment, but it is what it is. Not only am I going to accept it, I'm going to embrace it, make this an opportunity, own it, and really grapple with it, really get your arms around it. And so that can, can happen at any age. And actually, resilience, I think, is equally valuable at every point in your career. Because when you start new in a role, whether whether you be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, it's going to be hard when you first start. Like I always say, whenever I promote someone, like welcome to the worst job for the next six months. Because this yeah. is everything you dreamed of and yeah. probably everything you dreaded. Yeah. Because you're now the worst at this new job. Yeah. And two minutes ago, you were the you best were at the old job. Yeah. And yeah. so how you reframe that to people, because people that think it's going to be plain sailing all the way through, they're not going to thrive in my kind of environment of high change. Are you a resilient person, Dominic Price? I think I am. I think it's a hard thing to measure. But if I think about the, the facets that I, that I identify with here... I love a challenge. Like the minute someone says this can't be done, I'm like, bring it on. I am in, this is going to happen. Like, how do we make this a real thing? And so I think there are elements of resilience in there, but it's it's not one of those things you can sort of shove a thermometer in and measure. I like to think that I'm a resilient person. And, you know, there are periods in my life that I draw on when things are tough. I've had a charmed life for sure, but, but as tough as it got for me was being at university and needing to work at nights to feed myself and pay my rent and get through uni like so many of us do. And I remember those long years of mm-hmm. of finishing washing dishes at one and two in the morning and having to be at an eight o'clock or a nine o'clock lecture. And I'd wake up to my alarm and literally say to myself, two years to go, two years to go. <laughs> and and I feel as though as much as I would have swapped it at the time, I you know, I would have said, I wish I had rich parents who could put me through uni. It has actually been a really helpful thing for me. And and there have also been times in my professional life as a teacher early in my career and as a young consultant learning the ropes and learning some hard lessons. There have been some awful days. There have been some 17-hour, 20-hour days back-to-back over long weekends trying to make up for stuff. But now looking back, I wouldn't have it any other way again because it just taught me so many fabulous lessons. All right, we're talking to Dominic Price. We're talking through the five attributes that make up a fully formed adult. The first one was resilience. The second is balance. I'm really interested (laughs) in this one. Tell me about balance. So balance is kind of uh, a little bit all-encompassing. It's it's partially kind of how do you think about the balance of life? How do you think Mm. the balance of a team? How do you think about the balance of what you're trying to achieve? And essentially it says the whole world is about trade-offs right? You can't have X and Y and A and B and C, right? So you've got to understand, depending on what you're trying to achieve, the outcome you've got in mind, how do you go about doing that? How do you you optimize when you've got many variables? 
And it's funny that we kind of go from resilience because actually what you were talking about at the end of resilience there was balance, right? Yeah. You know, the balance you've had in life of bad experiences and good experiences yeah. is what gave you resilience. Yeah. And it's it, this is why it's part of being a fully formed adult, which is you can't always be sprinting, right? Sometimes yeah. you've got to pause. You can't always be planning. You need to be doing. And also, I think balance for me, and this is what I've learned a lot in my time with Atlassian, a lot of the time balance is me saying, I can go faster doing this by myself, but it's not going to be as good. Yes. So how do I yeah, how how do I turn that that idea that working with other people is a tax? How do I turn that and reframe it into saying actually it's an investment? I'm going to go slower at first, but the outcome's going to be better. And that balance is a trade-off because I can go faster by myself every time, but it's not going to be as good. When I read about balance in the article that you wrote it, it reminded me of so many other things I've read about. There is the the understanding that we all have. Stephen Covey, I, I talk about him so regularly on this show, talks mm. about those four domains in our life and and having balance. We all know this the stories, whether they're they're true or fictional, of people who give too much to one part of their life and the other yeah. lives parts suffer. Giving too much to work, being a hero leader, for example, and yes. spending twelve hours a day there every day and losing touch with your family and and failing to grow relationships with your kids, all of that kind of stuff. It reminded me of that, but it also reminded me of of the next level and and part of that. And I'm really big into being healthy, physically mm. fit, finding time to exercise. And I I'm so I feel so sad for people who are unhealthy and overweight and don't feel okay about themselves. Yeah. Who tell themselves they don't have time to exercise because no one's going to give you that time. It's time. We've all got 24 hours in a day. It's the one yeah. thing that whatever, wherever you're born, we've all got the same 24 hours same. in a day. And when I, when I hear that, I, I think, you know, finding balance in our life is so important. But, but this is where I'm getting to. A wonderful author who I admire, who I've had on the show, Craig Ballantyne, actually was the first person to ever write it and capture my imagination. You can go the other way and get out of balance with those things that most people are searching for. Most people need more healthy eating. Most people Mm. need more exercise in their life. But there's actually, and maybe it's a rising plague, there's actually the plague of people going too far the other way. There's the, I don't know whether you're in touch with the world of marathons and and Ironman triathlons, the Ironman triathletes, the extremity of doing those things that start off as a really healthy thing. And of course, it just ends up doing the opposite of what you wanted. It puts your life back out of balance in a different way. Yes. Well, and, and that's why we use the, we, we chose the word balance on purpose because it is about saying a trade-off, and it's a trade-off over time. You know, there's some months when I travel a lot and maybe I'm not as healthy, and I can make that up the next month. So it's going to be balanced over a year. If I'm uh, doing Iron Mancha, and I don't, thankfully, but if I end up doing 12 of those a year, that's not balance, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's cultish. Yeah. Right, yeah, it's why yeah, I, I love yeah. talking about cult and culture. Right, cult and culture are very similar and very different. Yes. And so, ba- balance is around saying, how do you pick those trade offs, and how do you do it actively? And the reason this is important for fully formed adults, and this is the key differentiator: non fully formed adults wait for someone else to give them balance. Yeah. They think the world owes it to them. Yeah. Fully formed adults go, "Oh, I'm, I'm an adult. I make my own decisions. If I go to the gym today, that's my call. If I don't go, that is also my decision." That you answered my next question inside of your answer. 
it's not looking for balance every day, every week. I'm no. pleased to hear. And it's not saying that Ironman triathlon or, or running a marathon or doing anything like that that's extreme but rewarding and, and, it, and it gives you discipline and resilience and everything else that comes with that. It's not to say that those things are a bad idea. In fact, they're a fantastic idea. But if you can find balance around that, and it might be one yeah. Ironman every two years or 18 months, not three in a year. It yeah. might be a balance of of doing your marathon training or whatever it might be, but finding time for your family and to socialize and to do things like that. So there might be chunks of time that are heavy with the with one part of your life and, yeah. and light on another and balancing that over time. I'm relieved to hear you say that. Yeah. It's also like it's three forms of balance. It's balance me as a person. Like you have to be selfish with balance. Yeah. It's balance the team of people I work with because it's where I spend eight, nine hours a day doing yep. my work. Yeah. And then it's balance in life. You know, community, family, friends, society, how you balance out. And it's, I worry when people use the O word, the optimize word, because that's normally when they're in the world that you were talking about. They've picked one thing yeah. and they're optimize. tripling down on it at the detriment <laughs> of others. What about you, Dominic? How's your life for balance? My life balance is brilliant. And the thing that changed it was me realizing that it was up to me. Yeah. So, so yeah. I think it's very easy to be a victim of balance. I do a lot of traveling. The odd yeah. Monday, I don't come into work. We're doing this late at night, so I didn't come in until one o'clock today. I didn't ask permission. I didn't You're tell anyone. Welcome, Dominic. I manage my time and my energy, yeah. and because that's my way of gaining balance. And I think when we own it, we will make sensible decisions. All right. We're talking through the five attributes. We've had resilience and balance. And number three, safety, Dominic. Tell us about <laughs> safety and, and, and the special type of safety that you're talking about. Yeah, so this is psychological safety, which uh, made famous by Project Aristotle at Google and a whole lot of kind of reports that have come out since then. A lot of people get either confused or very excited by psychological safety, but don't turn it into action. We represent it in action in a couple of ways. One is respectful dissent. Like, are you comfortable respectfully dissenting? And then as a leader, are you creating the right environment where people have the comfort and the freedom to respectfully dissent? And so how do we do that not only in our work lives, but personal lives, so we open ourselves up to critique and challenge, and not criticism necessarily, but the ability to iterate and get feedback and learn from it? That requires a huge amount of safety. If if you think that's going to get used or abused against you, you will not share. And the best example I've seen in most businesses is the abuse of data, where they're like, we're going to do a report on on X, and, and we're now going to measure X. And they do this without balance. It becomes the only thing they measure, and actually what they remove is safety. They remove trust, which is essentially oxygen for any team. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. From my view as a leadership team communications consultant moving through organizations, this thing, this emotional or psychological safety that you talk about is one of those glaring things in an organization that they they have or they don't. And of course, yes. some individuals can have it and some don't. But how many times have you, Dominic, been in an organization where there is poor quality work going on, work that's not meeting a deadline or meeting the goals of the project or whatever it might be, because people just don't have that safe zone, that that psychological yeah. safety in that workplace culture to stand with their colleagues and say, hey, we've got a problem here. I don't think that piece of work is up to scratch. Well, that's not yeah. what we said it would be. 
people lacking that type of courage? Is courage the right word or is that underplaying it and simplifying it too much? Well, it's a tricky one, right? So I think part of this is an indictment on us as a business society because I was like the 80s or 90s when Toyota released their or published all their material on total quality management. The ability for anyone on the production line to raise a hand and say quality is not good enough. Yeah. And that set, set a trend of people feeling empowered but it didn't say bring your full self to work. And it, and it said yeah. only challenge one thing and, and, and you don't necessarily challenge the hierarchy. And yeah. so where I think we've got stuck is people think psychological safety is something that you can learn and read about. And it's not, right? You can read the findings from Project Aristotle as many times as you want. If you don't create an environment, you, you don't get that for free. Like it's an action. And it's also, and you used the word before, it's a sustainable, consistent set of actions. Because if you flip from one persona to another, you're not going to build that psychological safety. So I think it's a two-parter. It's on the leader to set up the environment and to role model and to have vulnerability and humanity uh, and consciousness with how they communicate and how they speak and how they represent themselves. And then also giving the space and time and freedom for those around them to do the same thing. And often you do that by role modeling. And sometimes mm. as a leader, I do it by closing my mouth and opening my ears. Yeah, But it's it's yeah. a time-consuming thing to do. You can't, most people, certainly in very traditional organizations, most leaders I speak to go looking for it when they need it. And I'm like, it's too late. Yes. It's way too late. That's great advice that, that creating that culture of psychological safety is, is not the lone role of the leader but it is certainly their role to lead on that and to be visible about it and to be really consistent about it, to do it when it's hard as well yeah. as doing it when it's easy, to do it when it suits others, not just when it suits you. It's a, it's a really important point that you make. Resilience, balance, psychological safety, four out of five is self-awareness. Now, self-awareness <laughs> is a fabulous one, isn't it? Because we all think we're good drivers, right? Yeah. We all could consider ourselves to be self-aware, how do we ever really know? I think it's a bit of a catch-22 because if you if you lack self-awareness, then you don't care about it, so you're never going to know and you don't care, so it's all right. Like yeah, you're in a little bubble, it. so it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> I, I think what I've seen in my experience, self-awareness is one of those things that we can rationalize, but actually it's about caring of the impact of yourself on other self. And I think where a lot of people get confused is they think self-awareness is just their actions, like what I did and what I said, and it's not. It's just like people think communication is what happens at the mouth, and it, it's not. Communication happens at the ears and in the heart, how you made someone feel. And it's the same for self-awareness. It's how did my actions impact someone else? And if you care about that and you follow that through, then you consider your actions a lot more. You therefore build a more inclusive environment that gives you that psychological safety. So the two are very closely linked. The, interest, the, the interesting thing, and this is one where I think people confuse self-awareness with oversharing, right? It's not, I'm going to tell you all about my life, you know, warts and all. That's not self-awareness because that actually might give me the opposite impact. It's about <laughs> saying, have I just paused and taken a breath and understood not only the environment I can see, but elements of the environment outside of my four walls? For example, customers, like the number of businesses I speak to where they've got amazing strategies but they are all insular. And I'm like, you're lacking, as a business, you're lacking self-awareness because your reason for existing is to like customers and they're not represented anywhere in your strategy. I really like that link that you draw between being empathetic and caring about the impact that you have on others 
which will breed self-awareness. Because if you care whether you're leaving people delighted or informed or feeling great or or not, then you are more likely to be in tune with your behaviors and, and watch the effect they have. I like to think that I'm self-aware, but I get caught out every now and then with someone yeah. being honest enough to tell me, hey, do you realize the way you said that came across this way? And I always really appreciate that. But it makes me wonder, geez, how often are people not saying that to me because of that previous point about yeah. psychological safety? I mean, who really feels confident enough to come to me and say, the way you delivered that message was harsh or et cetera, et cetera, or whatever it might be? You know, in my experience, it becomes self-fulfilling. So if you get that feedback, you embrace it, value it, and change your behavior, the next best person is more willing to share. So by yes. default, you're surrounding yourself with people more willing to share. If mm. like, it's also why I say that silence is deafening. Like, if you don't get any feedback, that's deafening yeah. because because there was some, it just never made it to you. <laughs> we, um, I'm working on a project at the moment. I have been for quite some time, and we just welcomed a new member to our team. So there, there's a, it's a very small team. The other three of us stood up and did a little profile on one of the others where we talked about strengths and weaknesses and what mm. they're like outside of work. It was really lovely activity. And I was just so, I just felt so great that someone in the team was willing to stand up there and talk to the new colleague about my strengths and what I bring to the team as a leader yeah. and the things that I do. But they were also just as willing to talk about my negatives and the way yeah. some of my weaknesses can emerge and and even some of the way my strengths can be so overbearing that they actually become a yeah. weakness at times. Yeah, you I almost gave them. him a hug because I genuinely appreciate that kind of feedback and that kind of mirror being held up to me. It was a really nice moment as in being part of the team. But think about it. Play that back to, to number one, resilience, right? So resilience is the, the ability to take on that feedback and become a better person because of it. So if you'd have balked up and defended yourself, argued, then you're not resilient. You're stubborn. That they're very different attributes, and so you'd never get that feedback again. You never. That's oh, you would never get that feedback again. Yeah. It's so important, isn't it? Great. All right. Resilience, balance, emotional or psychological safety, self awareness, and lucky last. We've heard it so many times before because it's so important and it's <laughs> worth talking about again. Having some purpose in our yeah. life. Yeah, it's huge. Um, it's funny. You know, with all all five of these. This is where I've learned my kind of sympathy and empathy for maybe for that older generation where they've grown up and, and survived or even thrived in organizations not needing this. They had command and control. You hoarded information. Psychological safety didn't exist. You didn't have innovation labs. You didn't have a job for life. Right? You had a job for life. All you did was you hoarded information, you made some decisions, and you climbed the corporate ladder. And that world's very different. And, and this is where purpose, I think, is probably the most profound change for organizations because it's purpose beyond profit it's kind of quadruple bottom line of how do you understand the, the understand the impact of you and your business on uh, shareholders on stakeholders on your staff on the community on the world are we actually doing this to leave the world in a better place or are we doing this to get a, a slightly better quarterly return because the quarterly return is is chasing nothing right and it's a slippery slope down versus that higher level purpose so as an organization, we constantly challenge ourselves, why are we doing what we do? But also we found, certainly for the generation coming through the ranks right now, purpose, because it is so, it's just much more talked about now. It's a lot more sort of safe to talk about. Relevant, they, are, yeah. they are way more rampant on the bandwagon. So one of the stats that I saw recently is 
Uh, we give five days uh, foundation leave to all of our staff to do charity charity work. And our graduates, when they come in, they will chase that stuff down because they see that as part of their purpose of they want to contribute to the world. And it gives them value. Now, I'm 40, so I started work in the year 2000 in London. We didn't talk about purpose in my induction at Deloitte. You know, we didn't talk about charity work and foundation leave. We talked about chargeable hours, right, yes. and how many of them we could do and how we build them. And yes. so you know, we had this laser focus on productivity back in the day. Productivity is still the measure that most economic organizations choose to measure themselves on. I'm not a massive fan of it because productivity ignores purpose. It, it ignores why you're doing what you do. And the best example I've seen in people and in companies recently is the difference between growing and scaling. Because if you're scaling, you're evolving, right? So as a person, do I want to grow? Do I want to get bigger? Or do I want to scale, which is I want to be more effective as a person. So therefore, I'm going to stop doing something. I need to know my purpose. And I need to acquire a skill or a habit that gets me closer to that purpose. And it's a very different mindset from just raw growth. I've talked a lot about purpose before, but you're the first person who's ever articulated it that way, almost as if you and I, I'm 43, so we're we're almost the same in age, we're from the same era, in the same way as we're not digital natives. We've adopted that partway through life. Hmm. We're also in the same boat when it comes to this purpose concept. Those who are younger than us, coming after us, will take the need for purpose for granted. Whereas those who came before us, as you described, had that job for life, the command and control kind of organization where purpose wasn't a thing. Here we are, slap bang in the middle, Dominic, trying to make sense of this new concept, a concept that's always existed, but has never been so important in the workplace and is only increasing in importance. Well, and also I think increasing in congruence, because if you think about it, like through the advent of internet, mobile phones, laptops, whatever else, I don't think work-life balance exists anymore. I believe in work-life integration. And so with that, how do I build the discipline of not being on my phone 24 by 7? You know, I, I have the ability to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, I don't because I have a purpose. Part of my purpose is excelling in my work. The other part is having meaningful friendships. And the other part is contributing to the community and you know having family. And when you add all those things up, you've only got 24 hours in the day. So how do we go back to balance and build those trade-offs? It all comes down to saying, if you haven't got a purpose, you're probably just meandering. And it, it is not that um, I'm quite opportunistic in my career, but that is because I still have a purpose. I just haven't got a plan of how I'm going to get there. But yeah. if I don't know where I want to go and I don't know how I'm going to get there, yeah. you're just getting through the day. And that that doesn't sort of fill me with joy or excitement. So it's okay not to have a plan as long as you have a purpose but I, I think of so many, and it's easy for us to to sit and pontificate about this stuff, but there are so many people, the, the vast majority of people who work in the UK and the US and Australia and, and like countries who are under the pump with their mortgage and the credit card and the cost of living and salaries not keeping up with the increase in cost of living and all those sort of things. Isn't it great to talk about purpose, but there's the hard, cold truth of needing to have a job. And a lot of people aren't in a position to take any risks with their income. How do you balance that need to have a purpose with needing to keep the income that you have right now? There's been stages in my life where my purpose has been purely survival, right? Mm. I, don't, I don't think survival is a bad purpose. It's mm. maybe not the race I want to run for my entire life, yeah. but there's, there's times when, when actually the outgoings have been higher than the incomings. 
And so in those times, you're a bit scrappier with your purpose. I don't think purpose has to be this higher level utopian spiritual order type thing. It's just being honest with yourself. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing and what for? And actually, when I challenge people on that, and I've been doing this with a friend, I did this with a friend recently in the UK, they were spending a whole lot of money on stuff that was very kind of luxury goods for appearance. And I'm like, why? Like, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not yeah. saying it's right. I just want to know why, yeah, why. And does that align with your purpose? Because yeah. if your purpose is to keep a roof over the head of your two children and you know, support your partner, that's kind of not supporting that purpose. So maybe either your purpose is wrong or your actions are wrong, but they're inconsistent. These are fantastic group of attributes. I love the way that you've brought them to life. Obviously, I loved your article because I chased you down <laughs> and I've really enjoyed the conversation. But before I let you go, Dominic, what did you learn about yourself through this process of thinking through the concept of fully formed adult and each of these five attributes? What did you walk away from and think, oh, I need to think a bit more about that? The thing that hit me, and, and this actually happened when, actually when I had the conversation with Patty first time right now, admittedly, we're on bottle of Chardonnay number two, but that's where I have some of my best inspiration, which was the impact and importance of unlearning, which is as a 40-year-old guy, how do I how do I find the things that were the norm for me that won't be successful for me in my future? And how do I actively stop doing those now? And how do I use the freedom of time that stopping those things give me to experiment and explore with new things that might go wrong? But if I don't experiment and explore, then I'm not fully formed anymore. The importance of unlearning. That is really powerful. That is a great place to leave it there. Dominic Price, thank you so much for joining me on the Team Guru podcast. I've really enjoyed our chat. Thank you for the conversation. It was great chatting. And that was Dominic Price. I really enjoyed our chat. He's switched on, articulate, and best of all, he knows how to cut to the nub of an issue. The five attributes of fully formed adult, resilience, balance, psychological safety, self-awareness, and purpose. How did you stack up? When we talk through those five attributes, were there any alarm bells for you or did you feel quietly reassured? What about your colleagues? What about the other important people in your life? As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Dominic on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. You can connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Bye for now.